0: i spent time in texas too (laughs) and arkansas So, uh, got to talk to Ryan for a little bit about uh, where, we, uh, where y'all were in uh, the scripture. And uh, he says that you guys have been uh, in a series called uh, The Kingdom Is Like, uh, talking about the kingdom of God and the different aspects of the kingdom of God. And uh, recapping some of the things that Ryan's already said, uh, he said the kingdom is something that's coming in the future, that it is the culmination of history uh, that it is the, actually the culmination of salvation history as well. It is when Christ will return and he will put all the bad actors to shame and he will uh, gather together his people uh, uh, here on earth in a new heavens and a new earth all linked so that we can all worship and minister together uh, in the presence of God. We will no longer be separated from God. We will actually be with God uh, in everything we do and will be with one another. We'll be linked in a way that we've never known. Uh, he also talked about the fact that the kingdom is something that is here now, uh, living in Jesus' followers. Talking about the fact that whenever we are acting out what Jesus' commands are, we are actually living out the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is something that is actually within us and part of us. So this group right here, gathering together, is part of the kingdom of God. It's an expression of the kingdom of God now. So it's not something that we have to look forward to or something that we have to pine for. It's something that we can have here and now. And it's something that we want to take part in regularly. All right? And so Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, but he doesn't do it in a normal fashion. He does it in parables. Why does he use parables? Because there are people who are meant to hear what the kingdom of God is about, and there are people he wasn't ready for them to know. And so if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a narrative illustration that teaches by comparing ordinary physical realities and experiences with spiritual truth. They expose the heart of the hearer and call the hearers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole point of a parable is to make you repent. The whole point of a parable is to show you what God is actually like. And if you can understand it, it means God has opened your mind and your eyes to knowing what that is. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 in verses uh, 1 through 16, dealing with the worker's in the master's vineyard. And Jesus puts it like this, the kingdom is like workers in the master's vineyard. So if you will follow along with me as I read uh, this passage, starting in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1 in Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a, a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again at about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. Excuse me. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one uh, for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this uh, last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's start first off with the story. Looking at the master... The master, I want, you to, I want you guys to see this. The master is a different kind of master. He's not like a normal master would have. a master of a house would have been at that time. If you were rich enough to own your own house and your own vineyard at the time in which uh, this was happening, it meant that you were also somebody who had servants. And if you had servants, it meant you sent the servants out to do the menial things. That meant you would have had a foreman uh, to work in the vineyard, like he's describing here. And it means he would have sent the foreman out uh, to find workers to come and work because he would have trusted the foreman because the master would be uh, dealing with other aspects of running the house but this master does something different he works differently he personally chooses his workers for the harvest he doesn't send out his his workers he he personally speaks to these workers and sets terms it means he doesn't find himself that so high above them or he doesn't see them as so far below them that he's unwilling to talk to them. So this is something that we want to pay attention to. Also, he is persistent about finding workers because the harvest is ready. If you are a farmer, um, if you uh, especially like a viticulturist like this guy was, he owned a vineyard, Um, you can't let the, especially with uh, grapes, you can't let them sit too long. If the harvest is ready and you're a winemaker, you have to clip them at the right time. Otherwise you get too much sugar and not enough sugar. If you get too much water, the wine comes out bad. If you don't get enough water, the wine comes out bad. Same thing with the sugar content. I just came from wine country in California. I got to know these things. (laughs) If you didn't clip your grapes quick enough, the birds would come in, insects would come in. If they sat on the ground, the lower ones, if they sat on the ground, they would begin to rot and wilt and they would be no good. And so when he's talking about harvest, he's talking about something with urgency. He's saying, I need workers now. This isn't something I'm planning for in the future. This isn't something that can wait. This is something that has to happen. And he is the character who represents God. Because Jesus starts off, For the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven in this instance, he's not talking about the future kingdom. He's actually talking about the kingdom now. And so he's relating that the character of the master represents God in this story. But secondly, we have some other characters, the workers. And this is a story about workers who needed a job to live. And they work for a denarius. When you look back at this, it says in verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The big thing here is, if you don't know how this worked back then, uh, if you were an average worker, uh, you were just low income, you worked for your money for the day. So if you got a denarius, that was your payment for the day. In our terms, a denarius was worth about 15 cents. So these people were working from sun up to sun down for 15 cents a day. And that would buy them their bread or their sustenance that they would need. It would also help them in paying rent if they rented a place from somebody. It was unlikely that they probably owned their own house. So we're talking about people that needed help. We're talking about people that if, uh, guys, if you were going out to find a job that day, it was imperative for your family that you find that job. Because if you wanted to eat that night, or if you wanted to at least have a full belly that night, you needed work. And if you didn't get chosen for work, you weren't the only one who was suffering from that. So we have this picture that Jesus is forming about the people that the master is choosing. And something else I also want to point out here, no matter when these workers are hired during the story, whether it's the first hour, third, sixth, ninth, or eleventh, none of them are being pictured as lazy people. None of them are being pictured as idle people. They're just being shown as people who want to work, who want to labor, who see the importance of what is going on here. The workers in this story represent God's people, those he has chosen to work in his kingdom now and in the future. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, everybody likes to quote verses 8 and 9, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves this is a gift of God so that no one may boast. But verse 10 is equally important Because it's by grace that you've been brought into the kingdom. But there's another aspect that grace has done in your life. And that is to give you a job in the kingdom. How many of you here knew you had a job in the kingdom of God? All right. Um, Here's the deal. Church people have a problem. We tend to think that the church is about coming in and getting and not giving. Okay. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. All right. Be the person who comes in and says, I want to come in and do the job God has set before me. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has created works for us, that he, um, he created them beforehand, before you got saved, he had them set for you so that after you were saved, you could do them. That means before you got saved, God already had a plan for what you were doing in the kingdom. And so Jesus Talking here about people who were laboring in the kingdom. Thirdly, the thing we want to look at is that this is a story that exposes the hearts of his listeners. Please don't check out at this point, okay? Yeah. Everybody in here needs your heart exposed, myself included. Uh, a lot of pastors uh, will sometimes say this. Um, But uh, whenever we're preaching, a lot of times we're preaching at ourselves just as much as we're preaching at you. Now, there is the one occasional person where... No, we're not aiming for you. Sorry. Uh, but, um, But the deal is, guys... We need our hearts exposed. That's why we have to have the Bible. Because the Bible is God's infallible, inerrant word. And when we read the Bible, it shows us who God is and how he wants us to have relationship with us. But then it also exposes the sin in our hearts that we need to repent of so that we can have relationship with God. So that we can walk rightly with him. And so, uh, let's look at verses 10 through 12 because this is really where Jesus is uh, going after this. He starts in uh, verse 10. Now when those those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, "Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give what I uh, to this last worker as I have given to you here's the deal: Jesus is exposing the need of his listeners and us, our hearts through alluding to the effects of law of the law, and their need for a savior here's the deal when Jesus talking about last will be first, first will be last. He talks first about people who were picked first. The master's gone out and he's chosen these workers. And they've borne the, brunt of the day. If you've never been to Israel, it gets hot in the summer. All right? Um, in the shade, uh, at, uh, at one place, it was 105. Now imagine working out in the, in, the, in the sun, which was 110. And you're in a vineyard, no cover. All right? And you're clipping grapes all day. Yet, yeah, when you look at it that way and you hear the gripes of the first workers, you're like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm tracking. Jesus, what's up? you got some explaining to do. All right? But Jesus is looking at them and saying, this is a story about the kingdom. This isn't the story about a normal vineyard. This isn't the story about a normal household. This is the story about God's household. This is the story about how the kingdom works And so Jesus is likening this more to the aspect of grace than he is the aspect of working meritoriously. So when I talk about this, the law versus grace, you have God's people. They were given the law. They've been working in the kingdom for a long time, the Jews. And they thought in Jesus' day wrongly that if they could keep the law perfectly, that that means God would accept them and that they would be in the kingdom of God, rather than realizing the law was never meant to be kept perfectly as a thing to be accepted by God, but rather the law was something you were supposed to accept by faith and accept the one who gave it. To understand that you could never keep the law perfectly. You could never actually earn God's favor. That had to come through faith. The law was meant to show us our need for a savior. And Jesus is pointing this out with these first workers saying you guys are coming up to me and saying to me I owe you more. I don't. And that was the whole point of the law. I don't owe you. God looking at them and saying I don't owe you any more. You can't look at me and tell me what I owe you because it's not your place. I gave you the law to show you that you need me to actually give you the grace you need. And so these last workers that come in, that's a desperate situation, ladies and gentlemen. You've been sitting around all day thinking about, I'm not going to eat tonight. My family's not going to eat tonight. This is awful. Nobody chose me. I don't know why they didn't choose me, but they didn't. But then all of a sudden, this master shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you sitting here? Nobody hired me. Well, I'm hiring you. Go in. Even if it was just to get... A few mites. It was better than nothing. And then at the end of the day, to have the foreman look at you and say, "Hey, you were here. You're here last. Come, come up," and hands you a full day's wage. What's your response? Anybody? <laughs> Are you upset? Are you almost weak at the knees, thankful, crying almost? You, what do you think about now about this master? What? what Do you want to work for this guy again? Are you willing to come work for him for a full day? Are you willing to give him everything you've got plus some? That's grace. That's what grace is. See, what Jesus is driving at here is that this is what his grace does for us. We represent the ones at the last hour. The 11th hour is upon us. If you haven't heard that, that is kingdom talk for hey, it's almost time for Jesus to come back. It means we're in the final days. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We've been in the final days since Jesus' resurrection. Jesus said, here in these last days. Peter said, here in these last days. Uh, Paul said, here in these last days. And that's for almost 2,000 years. We've been in the last days. We don't know when it's going to happen. It could be another 1,000. If the Lord tarries, we're hoping he doesn't. But this is exposing our need, ladies and gentlemen. Secondly, this is exposing our need, uh, exposes our desire for reward by God based on works. In Romans 6:23, if you want to know what the wages uh, that we deserve are for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does that mean? It means if we're really trying to work for God's favor, We're not going to get it because we're sinful people. See, what was happening here, Paul talks about in Romans 7 that the law was what exposed it. was uh, When he read the law, the law exposed the fact that he was a liar or that he was a a thief or that he was an adulterer or that he was an idolater. But in this story, Jesus kind of switches it up a bit and it's not... The law that exposes the heart, but it's the grace of God. These men's hearts were exposed. Were they getting robbed? The the first workers, when they received their denarius, were they getting robbed? No, they weren't. They agreed. This is how much we're getting paid for. But then they saw the master's generosity, and they're like, they just assumed that because the master gave that last guy a denarius that meant they were going to get so much more and what the master was saying is no I've made you equal because that's how I work you agreed for a denarius this guy is working out of desperation in need he is coming to me in need and I am fulfilling that need you're coming to me in your strength, you're coming to me in your ability and saying, this is what I can do. This is, how, this is how you can accept me. And God is looking at him and saying, no, that is not how this works. We have been, our, our lives are exposed as we spend time with Jesus. Not only this, but Jesus exposes the greed in our hearts, coveting what God has given to others and despising his grace toward them. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. As Christians, we can do this in the church. We can fall on hard times ourselves and see God blessing other people, showing grace to other people and become bitter because God's not doing that for us. Why am I going through this hardship and God isn't doing anything? Why is God providing for them and not for me? Why do they get to have everything and I have nothing? Why do they they get to lead and I don't? And we can become bitter. Jesus doesn't want us to be bitter. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be excited for what God is doing for each one of us. So if I see God blessing Steve, I want to be joyful with Steve. I want to be happy with Steve because God is blessing him. Knowing that the same God that's blessing Steve can also bless my life, but maybe just in a different way. Because, quite frankly, there are times when God is exposing our hearts through that. I watch what's going on in Steve's life, and then God is exposing what's going on in my heart, that I am, I'm too much about reward. I'm too much about what God can do for me, rather than just desiring God himself. The other way that Jesus exposes us is he, he exposes our desire to be first in the kingdom. <laughs> True servants don't worry about their rank. They trust their master for that. You don't see any of these servants who received their stuff last you don't hear their response but you can see now that they're they're going to trust this master in a way that they never would have before and ladies and gentlemen that is something god is challenging us to he's challenging us to that this morning so i got two more things i promise So this is a story that exposes the hearts, but it's also a story that gets to the heart of God and the kingdom, and that's the gospel. We see here first uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out in early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Here's the deal: God is sovereign over the kingdom. He has authority. Just like the master had authority to hire everyone and choose everyone, so this God does the same thing. God, goes, God chooses those who are working in the kingdom. It means if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God has chosen you for work in his kingdom. And God gives grace to his workers in the kingdom. These last workers, even the ones after the first ones, even the first ones, they're all receiving grace. Why? Because he didn't have to choose them. He didn't have to choose to pay them. He didn't have to choose to do anything for them. So in his hiring them, even though they were going to work for him, they were still receiving grace because he chose them instead of other people. And then he kept going out at the third hour, at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour. All of those people receiving grace. All of those people being brought in to labor in this place for a master who was going to treat them far better than any other master would. God also rewards according to his own standard in the kingdom, and his generosity is limitless. He doesn't want us focusing on that reward. He wants us focusing on him and focusing on serving him. And God expects his people to respond with gratitude for his grace through trusting in him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel that the sovereign God of the world created us and we rebelled against him, but yet he didn't leave us in our rebellion to just die in it. He, he became human as in, the man of G, in person a uh, man of Jesus Christ through a virgin, lived a perfect life, and died a horrific death in our place. Now, does he hit on all that in this passage? No, but he's hitting on the idea of what's going on here. This is what grace is, unmerited favor. And the way we receive unmerited favor through Jesus, which goes on in Matthew, in just seven more chapters after this, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. And in chapter 28, he would rise again. He's telling this story so that we understand this isn't about this parable. It's not about Pharisees. It's not about religious leaders. It's not about any other people. It's about God's people in his kingdom that he has chosen and the way he chooses us is by drawing us into Jesus Christ and he asks us to respond with gratitude. It means we receive it and say yes Lord and we take on the attitude that these workers would have taken on afterward who had received the denarius for being in there for only one hour. Yes, I want to work for this master. Lastly, a story that challenges the hearts of God's people. So we got a few challenges here. First, we are challenged to, uh, uh, to greater submission to God's sovereignty in the kingdom. Our submission is empowered by the perfect submission of Jesus. Alright? Jesus submitted to the authority of God um, to, to die for us in our place so we can submit to him. Secondly, we are challenged to greater service to our God and one another. Guys, this body right here you got a great group serve one another serve the people that come through those doors and eventually through the mill doors Lord willing (laughs) look for ways when you walk in here when you gather together how can I serve the body of Christ and glorify God how can I serve Pastor Keith how can I serve Pastor Ryan how can I pray for them how can I support them? But not just them. How do I support the board? How do I support the people, um, the, the people who stand out front and, and greet, or the people who show people to their seats, or the, the people that come in and clean? Yeah, all that has to happen. It doesn't just happen magically, you know. Thirdly, we are challenged to seek the kingdom first and the righteousness of God. This comes, ladies and gentlemen, through consistent time in the Word, persistent time in prayer, and insistent time in fellowship. Consistent time in the Word, it means every day you're connected with Jesus in His Word. And not just that, in prayer. Open up the Word of God and read and pray through what you've read. It means this. I'm in the book of Colossians right now, uh, reading through it. And there are people that God brings to mind as I'm reading it. Y'all have had this. I know it. Uh, y- you've had this happen. And sometimes you just say, all right, I'll pray for them later. And God said, no, pray for them now. And I'm doing this for a reason. Because the word of God is open and it's in front of you. And I want you to use it. This is what it means to un- unsheathe the sword of God. This is the sword of the spirit. That's how it's described. This is how you unsheath it. Use the thing, all right? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pr- when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in, the, in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So if I'm praying for somebody, Father, I always thank you for Steve. Um, you are his father and uh, Jesus is his Lord. Um, and I want to pray for him. Uh, I know of his faith in Christ and the love that he has for the saints. And he has this hope laid up for him. And I want to pray for him in that manner. Use the word of God. There's times where um, I won't ask for hands, but y'all know you've had times where, like, I want to pray for people, I just don't know what to pray for them. Ta da! (laughs) He gave it to us for a reason, so that we could know Him and so that we can build each other up, hold each other accountable. When I talk about insistent fellowship, it means brothers and sisters. We should not just be gathering together as the body of Christ once a week. Go to your homes. Have people in. From the church. These are your brothers and sisters. You say you love this church. Um, Does this describe your love? I go there once a week. I give some money. And then I go and have my own life on the outside. That's not the body. The body is when we're all together. The body is when we... Fellowship together, when we pray together, when we're in the we read the Word of God together. Don't just have your separate life out there, integrate the body of Christ into that, because these are your brothers and sisters. This is your true family. These are the people who are going to pray for you, hold you accountable, build you up. These are the people who are going to send you out and bring you back in and embrace you as brothers and sisters. That's what the body does. Final, final thing is we are challenged to find greater satisfaction in God. Don't find, don't seek for your satisfaction in entertainment. And what I mean by satisfaction is when I feel the most fulfilled. I'm not going to find it just in my relationships with other people. I'm going to find it in my relationship with other people when Jesus is in the middle of that. I'm not going to find it just in entertainment and it's unplugging my mind. I'm going to engage my mind in the kingdom. Is, Is entertainment bad? No. But when it replaces God, yes. Whatever other thing you can put in that slot, ladies and gentlemen, God wants you in the kingdom working together. And why? Why are all these things important? Capping all of this off? The harvest is now. Right now, we're mourning two students. We don't know what their eternal destination was. But, ladies and gentlemen, we're the harvesters, not the angels, us. God has given us that responsibility. How can St. Paul's engage Yukon with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not just Yukon. How can St. Paul's engage Willington in stores in Coventry and every other town around here? I don't know yet. But not just Connecticut. Let's look at how Jesus put it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outer parts of the world. Let's put that in context. Stores, Connecticut, the United States, world. How can St. Paul's become a sending church? How can St. Paul's become the place that is planting churches not just in Connecticut but in other parts of the United States and in other parts of the world? How can St. Paul's uh, be raising up uh, workers in this church, young men and women who want to engage their culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jeremiah 29 says, I want you to seek the good of your city, and in seeking the good of your city, you will find your own good. Take the gospel to them. Why? Because the harvest is now. Lift your eyes. The fields are white with harvest. That means they're primed and beyond ready. It's time for us to take the gospel to them. This is the kingdom now. It it, it empowers us, but it also gets us ready for the kingdom that is to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, your saints. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are in here, who are, uh, who are fighting the good fight, who are running the race uh, with endurance. And Father, I pray that that endurance would be built up, and I pray that it would be strengthened. Uh, Father, I pray that their focus would be solid, that they would not look to the left or the right, that they would not see some shiny thing that would cause them to deviate. But Father, that they would focus on the kingdom that is here and now, to see it spread, to see it strengthened, to see it flourish. Father, I pray for those who don't know you here today that they could uh, cry out to Jesus this morning. And ask for his salvation. And ask for him to indwell them. As he is already indwelling us. Father, overall, we pray that you will lead us in your perfect manner in all of life. That we would glorify you with all that we have. Forgive us the sins and where we we have failed you. Father, help us to repent and to walk toward you in all of life. In Christ's name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.